Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. Our guest today is Lisa Welchman. Uh, She is a digital governance consultant and the author of the book, Managing Chaos, Digital Governance by Design. And uh, community governance is something that's fascinated me for a long time. And so I'm really happy to have Lisa here to talk about governance, why it's important, and how we can better manage the communities we're a part of. So uh, thanks for joining us, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. So uh, we hear people, I, I, I feel like a lot of people hear the term governance a lot in a lot of different contexts. And what does governance mean to you? Um, governance for me is really about being really intentional about the ways in which we collaborate to achieve shared goals, right? So that can apply to any gathering of people. That can be a government in a country, can be multiple countries like, you know, UN type structures, NGO type structures. It can be a a soccer team. It can be a enterprise corporation, for-profit business. It can be a nonprofit, healthcare, Girl Scout troop. It can be just about anything. And so, um, but it's being intentional about that and figuring out how do we want to actually collaborate to achieve shared goals. Um, how much of it to you is about the um, how and the rules that you operate under and how much of it is about the who gets to make those decisions? Because it seems like it's a lot of both. Um, if I had to lean in any direction, I would lean on the decision making, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, a lot of times when I'm working with organizations of, you know, varying sizes and different intents, right? What the real challenge is, is that they don't know who's supposed to make the decision, right? And so in the absence of that, anyone makes the decision or the part of the business that makes the most money makes the decision or the person who has the in with the chief executive officer makes the decision or decisions get made by force, right? So right. The, the person that nobody wants to deal with makes the decision. Or what it could be, it really depends on the specific dynamics of the organization. But yeah. the point, the commonality is that it's arbitrary, right? It's not and not intentional, right? So, which means sometimes people are making decisions about things that they don't know anything about or that they're not qualified to make a decision about, right? Or they're too uninformed to make a decision. Or worse yet, they don't even really understand the palette of decisions that need to be made, which is what I think you see in the technology arena. Not people mm-hmm. intentionally making the bad decisions, but just having not thought it through because the stakeholder community that is sort of involved in the decision making isn't broad enough, right? And not qualified. You know, the, the, a small example of that would be, you know, um, developers making content decisions because they're trying to get something done and they're like, oh, we're just going to put these words in the form. This kind of works. Yeah. And then you've got these horrible forms that, you know, ask bad questions and give bad responses and don't really make a lot of sense. And then the big broad cases are the big dot coms like Facebook and Twitter, who are basically overwhelmed and seemingly surprised by the breadth of decisions that need to be made around bringing their technologies to scale. So it's it's a lot of different things. Would you say also say that not having clearly defined goals for what you actually want to do as an organization feeds into that as well? Yeah, I mean, when when I'm sort of working with folks to create a governing framework, the first thing that 
I ask them is, sir, what is the scope of this framework? What are we actually making decisions about, right? Because if we don't know what we're making decisions about, I really can't help you figure out who the decision maker should be, right? Because depending on what that is, that could be a different set of people. And what I found over the past, you know, five years, my book came out in 2015, and just doing this work over and over again. And at the time that I'd written the book, I'd been doing this work for maybe 15 years. So I really thought I had a handle on it. And I think I do to a certain extent. But what I've discovered more and more as I work with larger and larger organizations and at a more and more senior level is that they don't know what that scope is. When I say, what is digital inside of your organization? I kind of get little stare. Oh, it's our websites and our marketing campaigns. Well, is it social media? Yeah, 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 that too. What about mobile? Well, we don't really have mobile. Okay, well, we have a couple of mobile apps, so let's throw that in. Well, is it data? Well, I don't know if it's data, right? So I'm finding that the most robust part of the conversation of creating the framework isn't figuring out who the decision makers are. It's figuring out what it is that they're trying to govern. Once that's done, it's almost as if the who the decision maker should be just falls in, right? It just becomes very obvious, right? And so that's one of the biggest challenges. Right, because you can't make any of those decisions without understanding what your goals and priorities are in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think, I think goals and priorities and scope for me are sort of different. Like goals and mm. priorities feel like strategy. Right. And so knowing who's going to create the goals and priorities around what it is you're governing is important. I mean, if you take just a really simple example of just to say website, a website, that's like a plain vanilla thing until it's not right. Just kind of plain old website. So the strategy behind what you're trying to achieve and the business goals that you're trying to meet by executing on that site are one thing. Right. But the scope of it is just websites right? Say, all we're going to do is govern our websites, the rest can just do whatever it wants to do, or we're just not going to deal with that right now, which usually makes no sense. So it's a little tiny bit of a difference. The scope is websites, right? And what that tells you is, okay, when we start to have these conversations, we need to have the people in the room who touch and manage and understand and fund websites, right? Now, once those people are in the room, then you can start talking about the goals and priorities. So it's a little tiny nuance difference, right? Because what happens if you talk about the goals and priorities first, you may not have the right people in the room. In fact, the first governing mechanism that we figure out once we understand the scope is who is in charge of creating the strategy for this set of properties or these channels or whatever the case may be. And if it's omni-channel, it's a really big group of people. It's sometimes it's the whole business. Right. So really getting a handle on that helps you understand who's got to be in that room when those decisions are made about what you're going to do with those particular properties or channels. And so that's for some reason or another, sometimes hard for people to get that nuanced difference. And I think it's because um, we're so focused on execution. Right? right. We're so focused on what are we going to build? Right. And it's like, OK, we're yeah, we're going to build something. But just stop for a second, <laughs> right? Just before we start right. building, can we just, can we just stop for a second? And that, that, that indicator is really the relative youth of digital spaces. I mean, we can't say it's, you know, 25, 30 years now, almost getting there, 
um, for, for digital spaces. So we can't really lean on that much longer, this kind of idea of we're new and we're young because we're not really. It just gets more and more mature. And so with that maturity, just you just have to pause for a second. What are we trying to do here? And who's going to be making decisions about it? Right. And just take a take a look at that. Your book mostly focuses on like corporate governance for digital properties. But how would you say that the same kind of principles that you work through with those organizations apply to other kinds of communities, be they a community theater group or a open source software community or any anything else like that? It, it applies to anything. I mean, you can, it was one of the most gratifying experiences was that a, a, a colleague who used to be a client of, of mine, um, big, huge company in Europe. I heard on the grapevine that um, they used the processes that we had used to help them with their mm-hmm. governing framework at their children's school because the parents were making them crazy about making decisions about what they were going right. to do. And so they came up with a governing framework. It's not complicated. This is what teams do. It's what football teams do. Um, this is what what we do when we organize. We figure out who's going to make the rules, who's going to make decisions, referees, right? And what roles do people play in this game that we're playing together? So this is not some kind of fancy pants thing. There is nothing that we do. Or how about this? I won't say nothing because as soon as you say that, someone raises their hand and says, what about this? (laughs) Almost everything that we do is governed. It might not be governed well. And the the, the vast example of the differing differing governing mechanisms, and this isn't a political statement, but an obvious one, is the pandemic. You can see who governs well and who doesn't. Who Who has the ability to actually bring their resources together and achieve this shared goal of either flattening the curve or getting this under control so that we can get to the other side and to the vaccine. We're seeing this array of different styles of governing globally, right? And different priorities and different choices that are being made. So every situation is governed. It just not be, may not be governed well, right? And so people fool themselves into thinking that because they didn't formalize a governing framework around things that they're creating and putting online, that there is none. It just means that there's an informal one and that maybe developers are making some decisions that maybe they shouldn't be making, or maybe they should, I don't know, but they just, people are making decisions, right? And they're figuring out ways to collaborate. It just hasn't been designed. So it's arbitrary. And the bigger you get, the more crazy stuff that can come out of a system that's poorly designed, a governing system that's poorly designed or informally created. The pandemic is a really interesting example to me because um, it's an example of how, um, in a lot of ways, choosing not to govern something is a form of governance, right? Because there's there's a group of people who are saying, you know, the best way out of this is to not do anything and live our lives. But that's a choice that you're making. Um, you said you did a keynote at DrupalCon several years ago. And one of the things that you said in there is that doing nothing is doing something. Yeah. And um, and I, I feel like we see that trickle down into our communities too. Like I'm, a, I'm, I'm involved in competitive pinball. And one of the things that we've been talking about is when is it going to be safe for us to hold events again? And those same discussions are playing out in this little niche hobby that I have as they're playing out in the nation as a whole. 
Yeah, I mean, and to bring it even closer into the internet and the web, last year there was this um, kerfuffle over um, the selling of the .org, the management right. of the .org domains. Do you remember that? That .org, yep. ISOC, right? And what I found really interesting, because I'm on the ISOC policy list, right? And so I saw that the minute it came out, I, I saw that and then I watched as people just back and forth. It was like literally like cannon fire over the bay. I live in Baltimore, so everything's like Fort McHenry to me. But so, you know, I'm just watching <laughs> this, this this volleying back and forth as people are attacking each other. And it became really clear to me that it had, was not clear who was allowed to make that decision. Right. That they themselves mm -hmm. didn't know because some people were saying, you don't have a right to do that. You should have asked the community. And I thought, wow, they don't really have a governing framework that's clear around that. Right. And so there was a lot of strong arm. And I think it ended up being the case that they didn't sell it. Or if they did, there were some various oversights that were put in place. And pardon me, I just, I didn't even think I was going to bring this up. So I don't have notes <laughs> in front of me. But the, the point was that I was like, wow, this is not governed right. And the whole World Wide Web and internet is just a little bit of a free for all in that space. So and there's, it's, it's not a surprise that some of the big players in that space also don't govern particularly well. And like I said before, to a certain extent, you can say this is new, right? You can say this is new. We didn't know what we were doing. That flies for a little bit because you can't govern something that doesn't exist, right? So you kind of have to put stuff out there first, right? And then figure out, okay, this is what we're doing with it. How do we govern it? And so my argument is before you bring something to massive scale, just kind of think about it. Like what would happen if this got bigger? What could go wrong? What could go right? Who's going to make decisions about this? Who's going to make decisions? And it doesn't mean you don't move. It just means that you shouldn't be surprised, right, about the types of things that might happen because you're scaling your tool or your functionality or your event, right? And then if something does happen that's in the not pleasant or bad camp, you should be prepared to address it because you knew it was a possibility, right? And so that's where I get really annoyed with, um, you know, some of the big dot coms because when they're sitting there going like, we didn't know. And I'm like, why didn't you know? I mean, like, it's not like I could see it, right? So other people could see it. It's so it's almost feels like willful in ignorance on a certain, to a certain extent. And so that's going to have to get taken care of one way or another. But if we hark back to sort of your pinball event as well, it's the same type of thing. Do you know who in your community is actually going to make that decision? Are you going to try to make a decision collaboratively? What does that really mean? I'm very suspicious of collaborative decision making. I'm not suspicious of collaborative conversation before you make a decision. Right. I think that you right. need to bring a lot of voices in. But then at some point, it should be clear who makes the decision. And I think a lot of times that's also where people fail. Like they sort of get their closest buddies in and make a decision and they're, it's uninformed, right? It's an uninformed decision when they had that opportunity to just be really broad and ask questions. And, you know, the excuse people will say is, well, we're agile, right? And it's just like, nothing's agile. I'm sorry. I mean, I've, you know, I've worked with big organizations and they'll say stuff like, um, you know, well, we don't really have time to govern because we're moving super fast, right? And then tick-tock, tick-tock, um, four or five years later, they'll call me and they'll go, yeah, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, we're ready to work on it now. And their rationale for moving too fast 
with something like we're going to do a big redesign or we're going to replatform the web content management system. Four or five later, years later, they haven't done the redesign and they're on the same stupid content management system they were trying to get <laughs> off of. And their argument is we have to move fast. It just doesn't move that fast, right? It just, now content moves fast, right? Like content might change on a platform, but a lot of the big chunky pieces that operate digital, they don't move that quickly, right? And even if they do, do they really have to? Or have you just kind of pumped yourself up into this, I believe in agile world, which, you know, I have no problem with moving quickly, but quick and not safe is not good. Well, I think you can move quickly and, but you can still do it with intentionality. Right. Um, and, and I think that's, I think when I think about the problems of like, you know, any, any community that grows very quickly, be it a dot com or a web forum or what, what have you, I see, I see a lot of the problems with governance there being that either they never intended to grow that large or they intended to grow that large, but because they were small, they didn't think it was a problem until it was too late. Right. And I'll, you know, I, I think the latter of what you said rings yeah. very true for a lot of organizations, but I also don't have a lot of sympathy because oh, that's a yeah. very, well, here's the thing. That's a very sort of adolescent view. And when you are, impacting people's lives you're not allowed to be like that right there are no consumer products or consumer goods that are not sort of web-based things baby strollers cars you know what you name it that are allowed to be unsafe and the excuse is oh we didn't know like you know it just it's just not it's weak it's a weak weak position for people to be in and um yeah, you don't you know, take you don't take eighty million dollars of venture capital money without intending to grow to the scale that you'll be right. impacting people in that way. That's right. And so and 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 because we're twenty five, thirty years in now, um, right. for some organizations, people who were twenty when they dot com start these business, they're getting older, and so they can't even use "I'm young and dumb" anymore, right? And it's um. It's not safe. I'm working on a, a, a short book with Andy Vitale um, called De- Designing for Safety. And it's all about what is what does it mean to be safe online? And what do we have to think about in our process of creating things online? Where do we what do we have to think about when it comes to safety? What does it mean to be safe? And so, you know, there are ethical implications. There's product safety. And so I'm learning a lot about consumer product safety. Right. And wondering how some of that stuff may actually apply, right, to things that we create and put online. These are products, right? But they're tangibly very different. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes we have autonomous driving, right? So it's really quite an interesting and rich space, particularly when you get this integration of digital functionality and a hard good, right? So maybe not so bad when it comes to, you know, your Wi Fi enabled washing machine, but it starts to get a little crazy with your Wi Fi enabled oven. Right. And safety. And right. you know, there's just there's a there's some there's a real interesting set of things. And then there's just the data flow for the big social media giants of just, you know. What even is that? Right. Like mm-hmm. and, and how do you control control for that? So I'm doing a lot of reading to try and understand how that's worked in other areas and what might apply and what doesn't apply and what is genuinely unique. 
right, about the experiences that we're creating now. So hopefully that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think the concept of safety is really interesting. And especially in, um, you know, if you if you take like, especially if you take like emotional or personal safety into the equation, because I think, yes. you know, there's been there's been a lot of focus on that, I feel like in the last few years. But I also feel like a lot of especially smaller or slower growing communities, like, you know, I got into pinball because it felt very safe to me to have a place where I could nerd out about this specific thing. But as it grow, but, but as it grew, the concept of what safety meant for a broader spectrum of people changed a lot. And if I feel like, you know, if a lot of if a lot of groups thought about that earlier when they were smaller, then that growth wouldn't be nearly as tumultuous as it ends up being. Yes, I think you're right. And I also believe that there are certain things that get sacrificed with growth, like certain intimacies that get mm -hmm. sacrificed with growth. And I think that's just the state of affairs. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong or anything like that. I think it's just the state of affairs. It's kind of like uh, making one really nice plate of food for two, right? Bespoke and cooking for 500. Right. Right. Like it's just different. It can be mm -hmm. the same, same, you know, vegan, meated, however you eat meal, but one of them might have more nuance of seasoning, right? Or you can get it really customized to you. You can look right at the cook and say, I don't like capers, which I don't, right? So don't put the capers on mine, right? You can do things like that when you're small that you can't do when you're doing things at scale. And so my argument has always been, it's not don't scale or or don't be small or, or it's, I don't even have an opinion about that. We're going to get a variety pack of things in the world. But if you're going to scale big, you have certain responsibilities. And one is to be very clear about what you're doing and to at least have a conversation about how this might impact the people that interact with what you're doing, whether or not that's pinball, you know, aficionados at scale, or whether or not that's social media at scale. And so if you don't have that conversation, I guarantee you when you bring something to scale, things will happen that you didn't intend. Right. And so then the question yeah. is, whose fault is it? And, you know, a lot of times big company people will say, well, nobody knew. It's like, well, that's not true. Right. You didn't think about not thinking about it and not taking the time to think about it. Isn't the same as we didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it's willful not knowing. And so that's the part that really kind of makes me crazy. And, you know, in a smaller community, like your pinball community, you might in that conversation of understanding what happens when you bring things to scale, you might decide, I don't want to bring it to scale. I don't want no, to I have think, to no. shift, right? I don't want to have to shift. We really like the small community. The whole point is small community. I mean, a little teeny tiny thing, maybe this isn't the same thing and I might get in trouble because maybe I don't know something. So um I, I hate to say it, I'm, I'm very green, but the one place where I'm not particularly green is I love bottled water, right? So, okay. and my favorite bottled water is Badois from France. Well, you can't really get Badois in, in the US anymore. And there's a guy in my building who's French, I asked him about it and he said, the French government decided to stop exporting so much 
because they wanted to be able to give it to people in France and they just couldn't bring it to scale. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they just, right. so they made a choice, right? Instead of saying, okay, we'll make fake bad one, but you know, so it's just, so they, so they scaled back and in and made a decision not to do that. And so I think more people could do that, but you know, that's really hard to do in the U S because we're all about how big and bad can you get and how fast, right? Yeah, I mean, you're the the keynote I referenced earlier that you did at DrupalCon, it was called the paradox of open growth, right? And I think and I feel like it touches on a lot of those issues in terms of like, you know, do like like because because uh one of the things you talked about is like this balance between openness and control, right? Mm-hmm. And people people want a very open and clear um, you know, participatory community, but and that rebels against control. But as those communities grow, the need to have that control becomes greater and greater. And, um, and you're right that choosing not to grow and saying, we're just going to be this and that's it is, is a choice you can absolutely make. And it may be the, the, the appropriate one. Um, and I think that may be one of the reasons why a lot of those communities struggle with governance as they grow is because they they don't understand what they're getting into when they choose to grow. They just sort of say, we're going to grow and go do it. Well, they think that if this is really great, if we do it more, it'll just be greater, right? And right. It'll be the same like, thing, but bigger yeah. with more money and more people. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not, that's not how, that's not how it works. And this also ties back to one of the things that you mentioned earlier on in our conversation, which is what are you trying to achieve? Like when I think about a strategy, Right. I think about, you know, in particular to just bring it into the digital space. When I think about a digital strategy, I really think it's deciding how we're going to sort of exploit the technology of the Internet and the Web to get whatever it is we're trying to get. It might be money. It might be saving lives. It might be like whatever that is, whatever that target is. Right. That you're that's what it is that you're trying to do. And so I think a lot of people. One, they don't define what they want organizationally. Like in your mm-hmm. pinball community, what's your guiding principle? What is it that right. you're trying Who to do? Who do we want to be when we grow up? Yeah. Right. Because if you knew that and then you started having this conversation about bringing it to scale, you could always be looking into the side and saying, do these two things go together? Right. Wait, we can't mm-hmm. actually, we can't actually honor our principles and grow to this size. And so what that might do is, lead to some other level of creativity. And you might say something like, okay, well, we can't grow in one big chunk, but maybe we can do regional stuff in a way, right? Then you can maybe start to get creative and figure out, well, okay, we, we want to hold our values and we want to grow. So maybe we need to shift the way that we operate in some fundamental way so that we can hold on to that, but it's different. And that's where there are huge opportunities that I think a lot of big companies just miss, right? That's where the innovation comes in, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do it. It just means that you probably, maybe you can't grow and be exactly the same way you are now, right? Mm -hmm. Or strategically, when you're thinking about who do we want to be when we grow up, right? Who do we want to be when we grow up for a for-profit business should include a number, right? Mm -hmm. When are we profitable enough? that it doesn't make sense for us to, you know, what, let me, let me find a better way to put this. Like, why are we always balancing 
assuming that maximum profitability, right, is an okay place to be and an okay reason to be unethical, as opposed right. to just saying, you know what, this is, we're making really good money here. People like to work here. Our customers like us. And yeah, we have to stay competitive, but staying competitive doesn't necessarily mean making the most money, right? And so I understand the stock market. I understand the way business works. So I'm not saying that naively. I'm just saying, but that's a choice, right? And there are a lot of small business owners that make that choice. You know, your, your local plumber who just decides to be the one person plumbing business with one of their kids who could, yeah, maybe they could get bigger, but they like that control or they like the sense of family or they like their other values that counterbalance that. And so I think, you know, the web could enable so many different ways of working and so many different ways of being and I, and could create so many fundamental shifts. And I think we're seeing some of a little bit of that in the pandemic, you know, people working from home and that's challenging. I've never been more glad that my child is an adult right out of the house <laughs> yeah then right now um, and lives it's the best of all possible worlds he lives nearby so we can mask wave at each other and but i don't have to worry about schooling or university or any of those other types of things balancing are, it with your work and yeah, when you're at yeah, home and I all mean, of that yeah yeah i really feel i feel for people i feel for people but i also feel that there's we're really on this cusp of just like can we break through that and go like whoa how could we engineer this better right just better how could we engineer mm -hmm. this sort of thing better and so if you haven't noticed i'm all about the intentional design of things and i know sort of ux people are all about that as well but also people systems right like the way that we work together the way we talk to each other the value systems that we hold around each other and these technologies that we wade in the internet and the web could be in immense enablers for this greater good. That was always the intent. And I feel like we've maybe lost a little bit of sight of that and tried to just sort of pot it onto this sort of old system of hierarchical sort of capitalism that it has as its goal, the maximum amount of money. And look, I'm, I'm all about having some money, right? It's, it's not that it's just the the maximum at any cost thing always seems to get people in trouble. And so if you can hold on to your principles of what you want your organization to be like and actually design governing mechanisms around that and know when you've won, then you're good. If you don't do that, you'll always be like chasing money, chasing power or whatever, right? You'll be chasing some arbitrary, arbitrary thing that you didn't really intentionally mean to do, but that's what you're doing. It's um it's it's interesting this is the third one of these podcasts that I've recorded and it's the third one that eventually gets to uh capitalism. <laughs> it's like it's interesting how so many of these small issues that we see interpersonally relate to the greater systems that we live in. That's all. It's it's uh it's fascinating to me. Well, I mean and I am if if I have a fault um, which I have many of, but that you would care about. <laughs> it is that I operate in a gray area, in the gray area. Like I understand intersectionality. I understand complexity. Like I, I think because I, you know, part of my job is to go into a large organization and ingest 
from, you know, like 80 or 100 people over the course of a week information about how they work. And so I see all this sort of like diversity of opinion of people who think they're doing the same thing, but aren't really doing uh, the same sort sort of thing. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with tempered capitalism, right? And there's nothing wrong with tempered socialism. And there's nothing, you know, there's, there's something good to be plucked from everything or almost everything, because I'm sure there are some absolute no-nos, right? But there's something good to be plucked from a lot of different systems. And again, and then designing, des- intentionally designing what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of, of just saying, oh, it's just all out capitalism. Oh, it's just all out socialism. Or it's just, I mean, just sort of binary way of thinking makes me crazy because nothing works like that, right? Everything has right. subtle, everything has subtlety to it, right? And so, but people can't do that for some reason or another. I don't know why. Um, maybe if I were a psychologist, I would, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about the kind of changes that we see in governance over time as communities grow or shift. Like, are there any, you know, I feel like I've seen and I've been involved in online communities since back in the pre-internet days, like calling BBSs in the 90s. And I feel Mm -hmm. like there's always like in any community I've been a part of, there's a point at which things go from being um very like like everybody's together and on the same page to um everybody's kind of starting to question the whole point of the thing and it's usually tied to growth or whatever um and do you do you see any like signals or signs that a community is starting to reach a tipping point where maybe it's time to start thinking about these questions more seriously before they get into bigger problems um Wow, that was a really loaded question. I thought, and, and, Sorry. You, and no, and what you asked me at the end was not where my head was going with it. So I have to, oh, I, I see. <laughs> I kind of have to back, I kind of have to back up. So I'll just say my first philosophical point, which is nothing is permanent. Everything's always changing, period. Mm-hmm. Right. So businesses will go in and out of business, or teams will form and fall apart. Like, unfortunately, that's the way it is. Thinking that something's going to, main stay in its same shape and form forever is just not real right so i think for an organization to understand that and figure out how to sustain themselves over time which means flexibility and so when you think about when should an organization consider governing it's like as soon as you can right because your best hope of being able to sustain something over the long term which is actually a sort of unnatural thing to do, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, trees and plants, human beings, everything goes through a life cycle, right? They come together, they fall apart, they come together and fall apart. So if you're trying to do something that's sort of unnatural, right, which is to sustain something over the long haul, maybe past its point of relevance, right? You're going to have to intentionally govern and make decisions for sustainability, which at some point, I mean, a really good example of that is the newspaper industry, right? right. I mean, it's just at a certain, you know, they came, here comes the web and the internet. They were like, very cool. Let's put all of our stuff online for free. Oh, wait, right? <laughs> like That wasn't a good idea. A lot of them went down in that. Like, it's just when you watch that organic movement 
They had to make some decisions about who was making the decisions. What's the primacy of digital? Do we put in a paywall? How do we put in a paywall? Like in reality, that idea of this folded pieces of paper, you know, being delivered kind of went out the door. And so the ones that have made it were the ones that were able to like govern and push themselves through by making some sometimes really tough choices. And so that governance is there for sustainability, right? Not just accountability for what you're making, but for sustainability, something that is not so attached to um, what you're creating, but more attached to the values and intent of the organization, right? The other mechanism of an organization that ought to be doing that is the board. Right. Is a board of if you have a board of directors or some kind of oversight committee that's not operationally in, but it's just going, oh, wait a minute. And we see early in the dot com days, boards just failing. I mean, the, the example I use in my book and everybody uses like, you know, Blockbuster and versus Netflix, like they're just people. They just didn't get it like they mm-hmm. just didn't. They just didn't see that sustainability. So, you know, there's these governing mechanisms are there as like the skeleton that's going to exist, you know, throughout the life cycle of your business or organization as people fall away, right? As decision makers swap in and out because somebody retires or comes back in and that's the thing that's sustaining that. So the sooner you can get that in, the better. And the more that you can think of it not as a control mechanism that's going to force people to make certain types of decisions, but the backbone, right? The backbone that you can build your operational model on the better, right? The sooner you can really figure that out. Even if the early governance model is we do everything collaboratively and these three people make all the decisions. Maybe that's the first governing model, right? Yeah, it's really, yeah. And then it grows and changes a little bit as you, as you, as you shift, right? Yeah, the newspaper industry one is really industry in, interesting to me. I have a I have a journalism degree, and uh, I got my start in the Drupal community at one of the major metro newspapers, and it really kind of it really kind of to me ties together how like you know earlier I was talking about goals and priorities versus governance, but like your goals and priorities and your values and your governance model are really intertwined, right? Because yep. I feel like a lot of like I know at the newspaper that I worked at. One of the problems that I saw there was there, I, I felt like they didn't focus on what their core value as an organization was. They were much more focused on how can we keep what we've built, yeah. uh, something approaching what we've yeah. built. Right, exactly. And this was, this was a family newspaper, so that was all much more complicated rather than saying, look, we have to face the reality of where we're at. Mm-hmm. And if our core value is to deliver the information that our community needs, then let's look at what we have to do, even if it's painful, to make to continue to deliver that core value. And they had a very strong governance model and they understood who was in charge and the board and stuff like that. But because they never really aligned that back to what I would have interpreted as their values, it didn't, none of that really came together. They acted very reactively, you know, um, and they're, you know, now kind of a shell of what they were even five years ago. So um, it's, it's really, it's interesting to me how like no one of those pieces is more important than the other. They really all have to act in concert with each other. Right. And what you're describing to me sounds very simplistically like fear, 
which honestly, yeah, if I absolutely. owned a newspaper, if I owned a newspaper when the web came out, I'd be scared too. And to to be blunt about it, that's why some people don't make it, and some organizations don't make it. Like that fear keeps them from making good decisions, right? So that's hard, Lisa. Softer Lisa would say, "Wow, what a really tough spot to be in. You've made your money this way for." 40, 50 years or however long, doesn't matter, whatever it is. And this is the kind of business that you know how to run. Here comes this upstart technology. And yeah, I can kind of see what's happening, but the business model around how to make money from it doesn't exist yet. And maybe I'm not creative enough or I don't know enough about the technology to invent that myself. Huh. Like what, which nobody did. It really took a long time and papers are still struggling, right? So, so there wasn't, it's not as if like, not everybody's got that creativity, right? Not everybody's got that creativity to look at a new technology and, and jump. And so knowing that though, knowing that to say, Hey, you know, we're not, we're not bleeding edge, right? You can still put a governing framework in that's saying something and or or a strategy in place that allows you to actually look at the indicators that matter so that you know when you're in trouble, right? Like you can still manage yourself. And a lot of a lot of organizations do is they just are like, la la la, fingers and ears, they don't want to look at it, and then it's too late. Right. So what I tell people who maybe don't really want to govern who say, you know, we're a B2B, we make screws. Or whatever the case may be. It was like, okay, but get ready. Have a governing framework in place. Here are the metrics that you should be paying attention to to see if you're getting ready to tank, right? Like, no, like wide eyed, clear eyed, understand what's happening in your space, particularly as it re- relates to digital disruption. I mean, and by definition, disruption is something that you can't see, but a lot of times you can, right? You can see it coming for five, six, 10 years before it actually does its sort of death row. So there's no reason not to have your eyes open, even if you figure you don't want to be an innovator. But a lot of people, they just really, they don't want to see it. They don't want to see the truth. And I think even with some of the ethical things that we're seeing in social media, that's the case. They saw it. They just didn't want to deal with it. And the implications that that would mean for their core business model, right? And so- it's just, it's just, it's just people. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't mean, I didn't mean to imply, you know, I work at this paper and it was a family paper and, no, and it's like, no. I wouldn't want to make those decisions either. Like I fully acknowledge that, yeah, you know, no, no, no. especially for an organization. Yeah. No, for an organization like that, where many of the people have been employed there for 15, 20 years, you know, like, whole life. like yeah. yeah, a decision to say, we're just going to become smaller and leaner to deal with the real world. And that's going to mean losing a lot of you who've been a part of our family for this long. I mean, I wouldn't, I would be crushed to make those kinds of decisions too. Um, but, but it comes back to what we were saying before, where, where it's like the whole thing of being reactive versus proactive, the choice to do nothing is still a choice, right? That's correct, right? And so the choice to do nothing is still a choice. And so you shouldn't be naive about that. And right, the, exactly. the consequences of refusing to see, refuse not refusing to see, refusing to look at the consequences of your behavior, whether that's in an individual, a business, 
a nonprofit organization, a Girl Scout troop, or I don't know. I was a 12-year-old Girl Scout, so I keep bringing them up. But you know, <laughs> the consequences of not understanding the impact of your behavior, like that's just not, it's not okay. That's not mature, right? That's not what mature people do. That's what children do. That's what adolescents do. And I feel like the industry of you know technology and digital space is moving out of adolescence into adulthood and it's just not going to fly anymore right that, and that I feel kind like a, of not, yeah. yeah oh and i was just going to say i feel like a lot of the pain and struggle that we as a society are feeling right now are are the result of those decisions like you look at what what sort of the impact of not having the journalistic institutions that we had in the McCarthy area is giving us now, right? Or the impact that, um, you know, the decisions that the major social media players, many of these very well documented at this point are having on real people's lives on mass and individually. And, you know, that, that impact is, is very much tied to people's decisions not to make tough choices about how they're governed or what they're doing. Yeah. Or refusing to look at or believe that, because they right. wish that they weren't making a harmful tool, right? Right. They're right. just right. And, you know, and that coupled with a lot of money is powerful, yeah. powerful yeah. position to be, it means they can do it for longer, right? Poor people can't do that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't right. work for them, right. right? But wealthy, wealthy folks can and wealthy businesses and poor businesses can't do that, right? It really is, you know, revealing when you get into situations mm -hmm. like this. And so it's, I, when I see this much churn in the world, I am, you know, simultaneously terrified and excited. It's kind of a sublime type of experience because you know that change is on the way, but you also know that when it's like, you've got your foot in on the clutch and you're not sure if you're downshifting or up, right? <laughs> like, not right. <laughs> You're supposed to, it could go any way and you're not sure what gear it's going to be in. And that's where I feel like we are on a lot of different fronts globally right now, politically, socially, um, and in the technology world that I work in and love so much. And so I think there's a really good opportunity for folks to be really intentional about where they push that gear, right? And we should really be mindful and, and, and smart about the choices that we make. And hopefully the leaders of these organizations will realize kind of that the jig's up, right? Yeah. Nobody's, you know, you're not a teenager with the car keys and mom and dad's going to get you out of trouble, right? <laughs> you are the grown up, and you need to act like the grown up. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate that the, there's been a lot of damage caused by the time that we've gotten to what is probably what I think is finally developing into kind of a day of reckoning for those organizations. But you know, this is, this is why people should be thinking about this stuff earlier. Yeah. Well, that's what I've always said. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you see uh as kind of the major changes in how organizations or communities should govern themselves in the 5 years since managing chaos has come out? Like what has changed and how has it impacted the work that you do? That's a really good question and I think it's Related to what we're talking about, uh, well, no, actually, let me take it in a different direction. I think one of the things that's been the most interesting for me over the past five years is who it is that calls and asks for help, 
right? And what I see most interestingly is that it's usually a larger, more mature and pre-web and internet, not an internet technology invented, how about let's say pre-web, right, organization that already has mature governing mechanisms in place for everything else, who's kind of going, oh yeah, and this, we need to add this into the pile of things that are governing. So I'm seeing that, you know, sort of big global multinational push is kind of like, you know, maybe their quality isn't the best, which that's a whole nother different story of what they're putting online, but they're really wanting to get their arms around in particularly the policy space and make sure that, you know, even in employee workspaces, that's a really hot area right now in terms of sure. all these people working home from home and what are the implications of that and the technologies that support that. So I see a lot of sort of maturity in that area. What I don't see, which is not what you asked me, but <laughs> is, is this, is engagement from these big sort of dot-com players. And I'm not just picking on Twitter and Facebook, all of them you know, big online catalogs, people who have a largely digital first business, right? Really stepping into this maturity space and understanding that they are the big bad businesses of the day, right? And that they need to behave in that way in terms as it relates to their employees and the types of safety mechanisms that they put in put in place. And so if, if I were to characterize it as anything, it's almost like they're stunned. It's almost like they're stalled. Right. So if you already had a mature sense of governance, you're going, yeah, I need to do this. And they're not doing a great job, but they're at least going, yeah, governance is a thing and I need to do it. But what I see in the digital spaces is, you know, people who were really into agile, they're going, oh, wait. Right. Like agile got us into this mess. Now, what do we do? They're literally like deer in headlights. Right. Mm -hmm. Just like what that's what I'm sort of feeling in this space now. And I think it's going to take a couple or more years um, for people to just really understand the impact of what they've done right and their participation in it because i think when when you realize that yeah i was you know responsible for just willfully that's me not willfully just mindlessly putting up functionality and not considering the impact that it might have on people and that you participated in that there's a shame that comes along with that and, and trying to back out of it or get out of it or excuse making. And so I feel like there's a lot of excuse making now um, or people are just silent in a corner. So maybe I'm not really answering the questions you asked me, but I think that's the only answer that I have. I'd like to say, oh, yeah, everybody's governing. You know, they're seeing it. It's a real thing. I, I think they're still in the part where they're a little bit shocked at how off the rails it's gone and don't know what to do. Right. To get it back on. I think the reference to Agile is really interesting because, you know, Facebook in particular has had this mantra of move fast and break things, right? And I think that the idea that, you know, I, I, think, I think the reckoning that, that the major digital players are coming to is that move fast and break things impacts people's real lives. And that can be true of Facebook or of Twitter or of Google or of Amazon, especially when you consider like now, Amazon is in some ways, you know, for better or worse, kind of an essential service now, right? Because, because yeah. or or any other any other company that's offering delivery of goods online, you know, during during the pandemic, 
is is to some extent kind of an essential service. And a lot of these people who have put together these digital properties that they think, oh, this is fun for people to play with and blah, blah, blah. And what they've turned into is very, very different. And um, I think, I think, and that's where you're, you know, when we talk about the rise of agile methodology, which was, which was, you know, driven out of a need to develop things in a way that wasn't in an ever-changing world out of, you know, the software engineering community. But I think that when applied any farther than that starts to create real damage. And if we talk about what's, you know, been different in the last five or 10 years, I, I would not disagree at all that that's a huge part of it. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Agile is an operational methodology. It's right. not a business model. To build right. software. Right, yes. right. It's an operational model. It's not a business model, right? And and But when your whole business is a product that's built with Agile, those things get conflated, right? They, and people don't understand the difference between the two of them. And so I think people are starting to get that and to be kind of understanding, or I hope a bit understanding of it is that, you know, as I said earlier, you can't govern what's not there, right? My challenge isn't that people didn't come in and say, okay, let's govern, let's write a governance model and now let's build something. That kind of doesn't make sense. It's that they built stuff. And even when the indicators started to, to show that maybe it wasn't quite right, they just kept going. Mm -hmm. Right, they just kept going. I mean, there are so many different inflection points in the development process for a lot of big dot coms where they could have slowed down and said, "Oh, you know what? We're getting kind of big here. Let's just check on a couple little things." Right? It's kind of like you know when people talk about accessibility, it's really better to do it in the design phase, right, right than to course. pot it on afterwards, right? And so now what they have to do now that the business model's all juiced up and pumped up with money coming through all these different slots, some of which are unethical. Now they have to fix it, right? Instead of- just, But of course, turning off those faucets after they've already been opened is much more difficult. Of course, it's upstream versus downstream, right? So it's mm -hmm. easier to do something upstream, right? Like just do it at the at closest to the conception point as possible. Now, some would argue, and they would be right, that you know, well, that can stifle some innovation or it can, you know, it can, you like the earlier you govern kind of the less juicy things sometimes can be depending on your governing sure. framework. Right. I mean, Apple was different when Steve Jobs was alive. They had a benevolent dictatorship and it worked. Right. Like it worked for a little, and it came out with all these innovative products and services, but that was tied to his personality and his way of being and design elements that he worked with is Johnny Ives. I'm horrible about remembering designer names, right? So, so that was a, but that was a governing model, maybe not the one people would think it was because it was really quite tight, but so. Not necessarily the best for the people who are employed at Apple either. Right. But. That's right. That is correct. And so it, it's, here's the thing, you can't go backwards, right? So what can happen is dot coms that are starting now can look at their older brothers and sisters and think about them and say, hey, maybe we're not going to make that mistake. So those organizations can do that. They can do that, right? The bigger ones are just going to have to take some 
make some very difficult choices about who they want to be. That's going to be a challenge. They're publicly traded. They're, you know, it's just, it's much harder to do it now than it was, you know, downstream is harder, mm-hmm. right? There, there are, there are aspects of some of those business models that really, if you wrote them down on paper, would just look unethical, right? So what does that mean? Like, and what are you going to do about that? Right. So, um, in some ways it's a very clear picture and in some ways it's a very murky picture. Right. And so, and it really mm-hmm. depends on how you're coming, what, where you're coming. If you're coming at it from an ethical perspective, it's a very clear picture. Right. If you're coming at it from I'm the board and we're trying to keep the stack stock price up, looks completely different. And right. so there's the fight and there's the fight right there. That's the fight. Yeah. And especially at scale, because those decisions are so much different when you're a, when your user base is a hundred million people than they are when they're 1 million or a hundred thousand. And there's complexity in, in it. I mean, I, I shut down my Facebook account because I could, and I, it's not something that I use for, for business. I've been thinking about it for a couple of years and I was just like, I'm, I'm personally, I'm fed up. No, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. And so, but then there are people, you know, in the communities of people that are concerned that leverage that platform as well. Right. And it's so pervasive. Right. And it is not incorrect to say, shut down your account, don't give them any of your data, which is basically you're the product, right? I get that. I even believe that personally, right? But as a governance consultant, I look at that and I go, it's complex. There's not a single organization that I've worked with that doesn't have complexity like that. And I've worked with some really good ethically focused organizations, right? So it's not just the evil demon Facebooks of the world, right? That have this type of complexity in the system. Everything is this complicated, right? And so the question is, who do you want to be as an organization? What are your values? And are you holding true to them? And what it looks like now for some big dot coms is this negative way of being or perceived as negative, that's judgmental language, but perceive is is that they're comfortable with being that right that's what it appears to be right now and then people you're saying okay you're articulating that loudly and then people get to you know vote with their feet but it's really challenging because i run my son's soccer club on facebook or <laughs> all my friends are you know like you get there's all this complexity comes in and and people are like well it's a utility and it really ought to be they start talking about it like it's a social service and not a for-profit business. So I find all of that fascinating and I don't pretend to know what the answers are, which is why I'm not a really great pundit because I refuse to just kind of throw down the hammer on one side. Personally, I act, but as a, as a consultant, if that makes any, if that differentiation makes sense to anybody, I just kind of, I have to look at the complexity and see what's going on because there are very, very few perfect systems and very few uh, perfect people, right, in the world. And so that's why having a governance framework that helps to support the intent of the organization and being clear about the intent of the organization is crucial, right? Because otherwise, it's really just kind of like a spit fight, right? Yep. You don't know, you don't even know what you're fighting over, right? And so that's, um, that's one of the challenges. I mean, it's just one of the challenges and interesting things I think about working in this industry in general. Um, there's so much new coming up and, you know, to sound more hopeful, so much incredible opportunity, right, to 
rebuild lives and the and ways of being with each other that are just more positive, more empowering, and kinder. To be honest, honest with you. Um, I think that that positive note sounds like a great place to wrap on because, uh, I'd like to wrap more conversations on positive notes right now. So, um, (laughs) um, why you mentioned that you're working on a new book. Uh, could you tell us about that and maybe how people can find you online if they want to uh, learn more about the work that you're doing? Sure. Well, the I'll do the second one first because it's e- easier. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, lisawelchman.com works. Um, I've got an online digital governance training course, which is at digitalgovernance.com. And um, if you want to listen to some music I wrote, I have a SoundCloud and my name's Scientific Eve. And if um, the book that I'm working on with Andy Vitale is... Um, working title is designing for safety and it's really going to try and take on understanding what it means to create safe spaces online and things that people who design and develop those spaces need to take into account during their development life cycle and when to make sure that we sort of don't end up in places like the places that we are now. I think that sounds absolutely fantastic, and I can't wait to see it because I'm sure that like managing chaos, it'll apply not just in these corporate digital worlds, but to all sorts of different models and ways that people get together. So I'm sure it'll be really valuable. Yeah, I hope uh, so. Do you, have a, do you have a timeline for that? Um, early next year. Great. Hopefully, that will, that, hopefully that'll, be a, that'll be when it comes out. But you know what? There's a pandemic. But I guess that's yeah. all the more reason why I should be able to, you know, write a masterpiece, especially since I'm writing it with someone. Should be easier, right? <laughs> sure, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Famous last words. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we need a governance model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for uh, coming in and talking to everybody. It's been really great to talk to you, and I'm a big fan. So uh, just thanks again for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.